0: Mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ amen technology promises to us to bridge the gaps to cover those seemingly uncoverable chasms across time and space I wrote about this this week when it comes to Facebook, or Meta, as it's now called. And Mark Zuckerberg is making promises of how we can live in this virtual reality where no longer will we be hindered by all of the, the things that would hinder us, which would keep us from connecting with others. And we've got to admit, in many ways, modern technology has made good on this promise, right? I mean, most, if not all of us, have flown on an airplane at some point where now you can be on the other side of the country, if not the other side of the world, in a matter of hours. Or if you can't do that, you can just uh, turn on your computer or your phone. Next thing you know, you're Skyping, you're Zooming, you're FaceTiming with somebody else, seeing their face in a matter of seconds. So quickly now that we have overcome those hindrances of time and space in many ways. Technology does allow us to do that. But there is one chasm that all of our technology cannot cross. And it's that chasm between heaven and earth, between this life and the next. No matter what Silicon Valley might be able to cook up, they're not going to be able to bridge that gap. Which is why this gift that we celebrate today of the communion of saints is such a blessing to all of us who understandably, rightly, want to be able to overcome not just time and space, but death. And the grave. But what do we mean by the communion of saints? I remember I was talking to this young man a number of years back. He was a Christian guy, but he said to me, Pastor, I'm not able to confess the creed. There's part of it that I don't believe. And I was like, Okay, we should talk about this. I said, Well, what is it? Thinking it's probably going to be something about God being the creator or Jesus coming in the hum- our human flesh, the incarnation, or perhaps the resurrection. But he surprised me with what he said. He said, I don't believe that line about the communion of saints. I said, really? That's a weird thing for you to pick out, but tell me more. Why is that? He said, well, because I don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. I think that it's just a symbolic meal. See, when he heard communion of saints, his mind went to the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, which I think is an understandable misunderstanding. But that's not what we're talking about with the communion of saints. We're not talking about the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Instead, you might think of the gift of the communion of saints this way. Uh, a friend here from church, Rob Iverson, he gave me this hat a little while back. Looks like an army hat, but it says on it, "God's Army." Very cool. Uh, and this is fitting with a, a long-standing understanding of what it means for the church to be the people of God. This image of the, of us being the martial people of God, of being God's army. So, one way of thinking about the communion of saints is to say that it is the one army of God, united in Christ and separated into two departments the church militant and the church triumphant. So, I'll say that again. You can think about the communion of saints as the one army, the one people of God, united in Christ, separated into two departments or two branches the church militant and the church triumphant. And I want to walk through each part of this definition, this understanding of what it means to be the communion of saints, so that you and I can see and understand and appreciate why it is that this teaching is so profoundly comforting. So, first of all, let's talk about what it means to be united in Christ as saints, the communion of saints. And to get at that, you might ask, well, what makes somebody a saint? What makes you a saint? Play for a New Orleans football team. That's one way, but we're not going to take that up today. What makes you a saint? Well, one answer that's given is death makes you a saint. So that when you die, it's as though the grave confers on you that halo. Okay? And, you know, we use language like this. We talk about somebody who has passed. We say, oh, she is sainted, right? Or he has become sainted because he has died and he's gone to be with the Lord. But does death alone make you a saint? Can you just somehow smuggle through the grave now that this is going to, whether or not I've ever believed in the Lord up till then, but now that I've died, I've become a saint in some kind of weird alchemy? Well, no. So it's not the matter of death making a saint, but maybe the the second answer, the more popular answer, is that your deeds make you a saint. And this fits with the way that I think we generally talk about a saint. You know, you you refer to somebody who's especially virtuous, who especially upholds the Ten Commandments, and is really a a model of Christian character, and you say, oh, you know, she's just a saint. He's, He's really a saintly guy. And I think that this is an appropriate way of speaking. Don't get me wrong. Because seeing one another in the body of Christ as saints, reflecting and recognizing the ways in which you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to live in a way that gives glory to God and shows forth his work in our lives, yeah, you're saints. But look, you are not saints merely by virtue of your deeds, by your good works. And if we look at it that way, we are inverting the roots and the fruits, see. Those deeds, those good works are the fruit of your saintly identity. Because already you are holy, because already you have been made a saint in Christ, then you bring forth that good fruit. People look at that fruit and they say, oh, that must be what makes you a saint. But that's not what makes you a saint any more than the fruit on the tree is what makes it an apple tree. It's that inherent identity, those deeper roots. That's where it comes from. So what makes us a saint? It's not death, it's not our deeds. It's the divine decree. It's the decree, it's the word spoken by Christ over you and me. That's what makes us saints. He confers upon us his blessing, even as he did to the disciples. He said to them, blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, blessed are you. His blessing, that word of Jesus spoken over you and me, you are cleansed, you are claimed, you are children of God that word that Jesus spoke over you when you were baptized and said, this one is mine in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is that divine decree that makes you holy, that makes you saints. That's the source of your saintliness, which all of you possess, not by virtue of anything in yourself, nor by virtue of passing on from this world to the next, but by virtue of Christ. And in him then, this one army of God is united, the living Lord who speaks his divine decree over us as his people. So that's what makes us saints. But now let's talk about these two branches of the saints, of this one army of God. We're all made saintly in Christ, but now this army is is divided into two departments, two branches, the church militant and the church triumphant. So first, let's talk about the church militant. And when you hear that, immediately, maybe in your mind, it conjures up all the ways that as Christians we can go wrong, right? Where we just decide we're going to uh, attack the world, we're going to take it on, we're going to go after it, we're going to get those infidels out there in the world. Maybe you you think back of even through history and the Crusades and all this sort of thing. That crusader mentality is not what we're talking about. When we talk about the church, it's the church militant. Rather, it's the church as she labors and toils and struggles and suffers. The church as she follows her Captain Christ through this world, this present evil age. Instead of a crusader mentality, to speak of the church as the church militant means that you and I have a survivor mentality. A survivor mentality where we take our knocks We bear our bruises in a world that is still in rebellion against God and still as we we deal with our own sinful nature and duel with the devil, that father of lies. We live as the church militant, the army of God pressing forth, moving onward as Christian soldiers. And again, this is what Jesus depicts for us in the Beatitudes. You think of that moment as he begins his Sermon on the Mount. He's looking at his disciples and, and where have they come from? Where have they been? I mean, by this time, they're already haggard, they're tired, they're burnt out, they're beaten up. They have, in many cases, left homes, left jobs, in some instances, even left families. They are bruised and beaten, but also they're blessed, Jesus says. They are the church militant. Those who are struggling and striving, failing, yes, but always following their Lord and Master. That's what makes us the the church militant. And the other day, just the other day, I had an opportunity to encounter a woman who embodied for me what this church militant looks like. Chip and I were actually going to a hotel for a conference, for a meeting. And it's late at night. And the woman who's working behind the desk, she comes out to meet us. And it's one of those things where, you know, when you're checking in, and especially if you're checking in late, you're like, all right, just give me my room key. I'm ready to go to bed. It wasn't long before we talked to this woman, I realized that's not gonna be the case tonight, okay? She says, oh, Lutheran Camp Association. Lutheran, that's, that's Christian, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what Chip was thinking, but I was thinking, oh boy, here it comes. You know, it's just like when I'm on the airplane. You're a pastor, huh? All right, here we go. Uh yeah, we're we're Christian guys. She said, oh, I always feel good when there's some Christian men in the house. I'm like, all right, cool. That's cool. She says, "You know, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 15." It's like, "All right, that's that's cool. That's not the way I would talk as a Lutheran, but it's all good." She's like, "And my life's been hell ever since." <laughs> okay, not where I expected this to go. And over the next, I don't know, chip, what, 15, 20 minutes, maybe longer than that. She just starts pouring out her heart to us. All of these trials and tribulations she had gone through, that she'd had not one but two husbands cheat on her and a third who was abusive, that she had lost a sister who had been murdered. She'd gone through all of these horrible instances, feeling that that sense of the, the pressure of the world, the failure of her own self as she has struggled to follow Jesus. But then she said this, God continues to make a way for me when there is no way. She said, God makes a way when there is no way. And some days she said, I feel like I'm just barely clinging to him. Holding on is all that I can. I feel like I might let go. And I tried to encourage her, her name was Amber, and say, listen, even on those days when you feel like you're going to let him go, he never lets you go. So what it means for us to live as the church militant. It doesn't mean that life is gonna be easy. It might be H-E double hockey sticks. But still, God is faithful. And still, he is your Lord and captain. So on the one hand, for us to be part of the communion of saints means that we are part of that church militant. That's y'all, okay? Ask Rob, we'll get one of these hats for each and every one of you, right? You're part of God's army. But on the flip side, Let's think about that other department, that other branch of God's army, what we call the church triumphant. The church triumphant are all those soldiers of Christ who have already passed from this life to the next, who already dwell in the immediate presence of their Savior, who are gathered around the throne of the Lamb, who are singing their praises and saying, salvation belongs to our God. And in many ways, you might think of the church triumphant as those soldiers who have already made it to their home, who have already uh, uh, fought the fight and won that race. They are a mirror image of the church militant, and you hear this, you see with the Beatitudes, Jesus speaks of his followers as hungering and thirsting and mourning. In that vision of Revelation, what are they doing? It says, they hunger no more, neither thirst any more. They are now at rest, no longer toiling and striving. And God himself wipes every tear from their eyes. This is what it means to be part of the church triumphant. And I want to be clear about this. This isn't just a future promise. I know it's in the book of Revelation. We associate Revelation with the end times. So What's going to happen when Jesus returns, which is, is true. But it's also a present reality. What John sees, this reading that we heard, is a live promise. A live picture. You know, like in the, uh, when you're watching TV and they're like, no, we're going to do a quick live look-in on this other game or what have you. That's what we get here. It's a live look-in on what's happening with the saints, with the church triumphant, gathered around the throne of God, that right now they are praising the Lord. Right now they are in his presence. Right now they are at rest and at peace. That is the promise that you and I can all cling to for ourselves looking ahead to the future, but it's also a promise that you can cling to right now. For all those whom you have loved and lost, for all those who were claimed by Christ, baptized into him, we are united with them now as they are alive in his presence. And when I think about Amber and the church militant, I also think about Dan and the church triumphant. Because Dan was talking with me about how the last couple of years had been really hard for him too. And he was saying how he had lost his best friend, a friend of more than than three decades. And at that point he says to me, Pastor, I gotta confess something to you, which you might not be surprised to hear. I get that a lot as a pastor. He says, "Uh, you know, I've had his picture up in my car, you know, like the the thing you got, uh, what do you call that thing? Like the, the visor, right? I've had his picture up in the visor ever since he died. And I know that I'm going to be with him eternally when I die or when Jesus comes again. I said, that's right, Dan. That's nothing to be ashamed of. You don't have to, to confess that. He said, well, that's not the thing. What I, gotta, I feel like i got to confess is that I'm not worshiping him. There's not some you know, weird altar that I have in my car. But he said, Pastor, I talk to him. I talk to him. I don't pray to him. But I talk to him like he's still alive. And I said, Dan, he is. And you don't need to be ashamed or saddened or or feel as though you're doing something wrong by doing that. Because he is no less alive than you and I. Alive in a different way. Now alive before the Lord. But you are united with him as part of the body of Christ. That one army of God. That as we gather around the Lord's table and we gather with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, you realize that means all of the saints, not only those who are here today, this morning, but also those who have passed on, your family members, your friends, even your children. Those whom we have loved and lost who belong to the Lord, they are worshiping side by side, shoulder to shoulder with us in ways that we can't fully conceive of or perceive of right now. They are saints too. Cling to that promise, friends. This is what it means for us to be part of the communion of saints. And I realize that when you and I experience death in one sense, it changes everything, right? You lose somebody and it changes everything, and I know you have those moments where you you think of them. It it catches you up short, and suddenly you have that that thought or that memory or you wanna call them up, and you realize that you can't reach heaven's area code. In some senses, everything has changed. But in the more profound and important sense, for you who belong to Christ and are part of the communion of saints, nothing, has changed. Nothing has changed. Because you have been forged to them, grafted in to the one body of Jesus that transcends time, space, and the grave. And a day is coming, and it may be today, that yet more glorious day, when Christ Jesus will come again. And he will call forth from the grave, yes, all those who have perished, and we will stand with them side by side, proclaiming and extolling our Savior on that day, you and I and all of the saints shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is on the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. We look forward to that day. But even now, blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle in this church militant, But they, the church triumphant, they in glory shine. Yet, hear this, all are one in thee, for all are thine. So to Mark Zuckerberg, I say, eat your heart out. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.